Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 20th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Yesterday, the Dáil debated a private member's motion on expanding the government's redress scheme to survivors of mother and baby homes. The Social Democrats' motion would require religious orders and pharmaceutical companies contribute to the cost of the scheme and it would broaden the criteria for qualification for redress, making more survivors eligible for compensation and that those who did receive compensation would get greater payments. Thousands of survivors are excluded from the government scheme. Many of them will never receive redress or recognition if the minister has his way. Nothing for the life-destroying crime of forced family separation. Nothing for those boarded out to abusive homes. Nothing for those who pharmaceutical companies have profited off of. Others will be given as little as €5,000 for a lifetime of trauma. You would get multiples of that for a whiplash injury. It is truly despicable. I actually thought that the six-month criteria was a red herring to distract all of opposition from the ridiculously low rates that other survivors get. I thought you would go back on that. This scheme is showing nothing but contempt for survivors. I cannot express how, as a public representative, it turns my stomach. The rules of this House prevent me from expressing the anger that I know is out there today from people watching. Holly Kearns of uh, the Social Democrats who tabled uh, this motion. Now, government didn't oppose the proposal, but it's not expected that the government will act to implement the measures in the motion either that the Dáil voted in favour of. I, along with others, will fight you every step of the way at all stages of your bill that ignores survivors, rejects human rights and facilitates religious orders and pharmaceutical companies getting away with crime. This government is no different or better than its predecessors. 
you have learned nothing, you will not be forgiven. Right, that's just part of uh, that very strong, heartfelt, passionate speech uh, that Holly Kearns gave uh, to the doll yesterday. We uh, might hear more uh, from that speech uh, later in, in the programme today. If not today, uh, we'll certainly play uh, the rest of that speech for you on the programme uh, tomorrow. But uh, we'll uh, go to the phones now because we have Holly Kearns on the phone, as a matter of fact. And a very good morning to you. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, we're also joined by Susan Lohan, who's uh, the co-founder of uh, the Adoption Rights Alliance. And perhaps I, I can start with you, Susan, because, uh, as I say, there's no doubting uh, the passion in Holly Kern's speech yesterday. Uh, but I suppose it would be simple to say that's just the opposition playing politics. Is that how you see it? Or did she speak for people? She is 100 yeah. percent speaking for people because from the get go, this scheme was fundamentally flawed. Um, in addition to the the notion that we would compensate the children for the length of time that they spent in an institution, starting at six months, as if you know a baby aged five months and twenty nine days had no memory, and suddenly at six months had a full memory, and um, that's just nonsense. And uh, Roderick O'Gorman should be condemned for that. But in addition to the, the children who spent time in mother and baby homes and who will receive zero compensation, we must also remember the tens of thousands of adopted people who are victims of forced family separation, who never set foot in a mother and baby home, but who suffered the same trauma of of being removed forcibly from their mothers within hours or days of, of being born. We are just excluded from any examination of what went on. And it all goes back to the 2015 um, terms of reference drafted by Philly Gales, uh, James Riley, who sought to examine the day-to-day conditions in mother and baby homes instead of looking at, well, deliberately not looking at the big picture items, which is... Why did we have forced adoption in Ireland? Who authorised that? Who oversaw it? And as as Holly says, where is the accountability at state level for the the, the state bodies, particularly the adoption board, who had uh, a monitoring uh, role vis-à-vis the adoption agencies and who've known about forced and illegal adoption practices for decades? So this is an utter farce and it is a brilliant example of Fine Gael and Fine Fáil being able to give each other political cover because, of course, ordinarily one or other of them would have been in opposition and would be screaming from, you know, the dull benches. That's not happening now because they're in government jointly. How did you feel when uh, the minister said yesterday that this is uh, the largest redress scheme of its type in the history of uh, the state, that the redress scheme is just one part of the government's Mm. response to dealing with this? Uh, that a, a commission was uh, established to, to look into what happened in the mother and baby homes. It made its recommendations and the government is going far beyond what was recommended. No, I don't accept that for a minute. Um, I am still part of a dedicated group of survivors and advocates which sits allegedly at the Department of Children. Uh, we were uh, put together in 2018. Throughout this entire process, Roderick O'Gorman has failed to consult with us, failed to inform us, and has ignored, uh, as as Holly referenced, uh, the Oak Consulting Report, to which we all spent weeks 
days, hours, you know, uh, making submissions to. He has ignored the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission. He's ignored the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. So these are not these are not kind of bit players in this awful drama and tragedy. These are extremely weighty uh, legal experts. He's ignored the UN Special Rapporteur on Children's Rights. And he is utterly indifferent to the plight, concerns and lifelong trauma which uh, survivors are are continuing to endure. Mm. So they are paying redress for the wrong reason. Length of stay in a mother and baby home, you know, they refer to, in all of their documentation, they refer to residents. But now they're compensating people for length of stay in these homes. So they should now be talking about incarceration. But those of us who are forcibly removed from our parents, our mothers, simply because our mothers were not married, we are receiving zero compensation. And, you know, I think Holly used the example of whiplash for for years. I've been saying I could walk down O'Connell Street, twist my ankle and probably be able to make a claim for 30,000. I get nothing for forced family separation and being denied my identity. Sorry, I don't wish to Mm. speak just about myself, but Mm. those of us in this position being denied our identity, Mm. the government are providing cover um, to the religious orders involved in this, uh, who thus far are declining to contribute to this scheme. So once again, we have an Irish solution to an Irish problem where the taxpayer picks up the tab and those people who... Uh, whose duty it was to oversee this this horrible industry and make sure that it wasn't abused yeah. failed utterly and are not being held to account. Okay, let me go to Holly Kearns uh, and uh, thanks for your patience and for joining us as I said earlier on. Uh, uh, another uh, issue uh, I think that you've been making is uh, the amount of people that are being ignored. Susan talked about a lot of things that are being ignored uh, but it seems some 24,000 people are, are being ignored uh, because of uh, the qualifications uh, or what the criteria for qualifying for this scheme. 34,000 out of 58,000 survivors will be covered. Yeah, it's an absolute farce and I think it was really laid bare in the doll yesterday how disgraceful this scheme is. And just briefly, one, two of the things you said there to Susan about it being the Minister saying it's the largest scheme in the history of the state and I think that speaks more to how inadequate previous schemes have been than anything, you know. Um, the industrial schools, night and laundries, it's always been done in this kind of a manner where you kind of further cover up and not pay enough and disregard people and this legal waiver that's attached then you can't take a case against the state afterwards. Um, so I think that's kind of common, just speaks more to our history around redress schemes rather than this one being in any way kind of good. And I think just that bar is so low, it's almost an embarrassing one for them to use. Um, and then to say that this report went further than the Commission Investigation's recommendations is another bar that's kind of inexplicably low because... Of course, I think a lot of the problems that we discussed yesterday come back to the findings of the Commission investigation into mother and baby homes that said, you know, there was no um, forced family separation, the kind of experiences Susan's talking about there. There was no incarceration. There was no illegal vaccine trials, no evidence of all of these things. So, of course, if the report found that, why would it recommend give more redress than what the government's suggesting? 
I think we need to kind of, part of our motion yesterday was, of course, to pay compensation proportionate to the magnitude of the crimes committed and to hold church and state to account, but also to correct the findings of that report, because that is needed for the other two components of the motion. And the minister himself actually knows that the findings are incorrect because he himself called for an independent review of the findings. Mm. And then he just shelved that idea quietly over the summer when the bill was in recess didn't even let survivors know that he'd made that decision. Mm. And it was actually only exposed to an FOI that was submitted from the Irish examiner. And the minister has yet to explain what he actually thinks is the solution now. You know, he's as good as said, I don't believe the findings are correct, because why else would he call for an independent review of the findings? And he shelves that idea. And then he goes ahead and bases a redress scheme off of it. And can, can, can I ask you about that redress scheme? You made the point very clearly uh, that no contributions uh, to the scheme are coming from either church or the pharmaceutical companies. Does it also draw a line uh, under this period in history for the religious and the pharmaceutical companies? Because when redress is paid, it's to be ex gratia, isn't it? Which means that there'll be no accountability for abuse. abuse. Yeah, ex gratia can be translated to essentially a gift rather than something... Um, they're obliged to pay. And that in itself is insulting to people who suffered at the hands of the church and state. And Uh, and you're prevented then from taking legal action. There's essentially a kind of gagging order attached to it as well. You sign a a waiver to say you won't take the case um, against the state after taking the compensation. And Mm. many people are saying that they don't even want to apply for it because it excludes their fellow survivors. It's, you know, is a kind of insulting payment. The whole thing... I think is it's been laid bare as another cover-up. It's mm. church and state colluding again. But the difference now is that people will not stand for it. And I think the government have really underestimated the public support behind this. You know, back mm. um, when the before the commission came out with its report and the minister said he was going to seal the archives of the commission investigation for 30 years, the amount of emails that came into Oireachtas members actually crashed the dull server. That is the first time that's ever happened. And I think the government genuinely thought that was some kind of a computerised thing. They didn't really take it seriously. There's this constant kind of disregard and complete misunderstanding of the public opinion on this. People will not stand for it anymore. Uh, There was another redress scheme uh, for children who were abused in residential institutions, which your party leader, Roisin Shortall, uh, highlighted in the Dáil yesterday, and how the religious were asked for 10% of that overall bill, which came to £1.5 In other words, they were asked for £127 and they still haven't paid all of that £127 Some 13 years ago, uh, they had reached... uh, far less than that. Uh, But this goes back uh, to 2009, I think. Uh, But uh, do you draw parallels between the relationship uh, the church had with the state then and the relationship it has now? 100% because the state is still kind of covering for the church in that sense. It's made them... The the report found that they're not responsible for any crimes. And the world and its dog knows that crimes were committed in those institutions. So we're seeing exactly the same thing over and over again. But this, you know, Susan spoke about an Irish solution to an Irish problem. And I think she hit the nail on the head there because, you know, forever in Ireland, there's been a kind of a reluctance to speak out against the church or religious orders um, because there's a fear of kind of offending people. You know, it might be, you know, your grandparents or your parents or your 
local priest who you really like who is a really good Christian. And there's a fear that speaking out against the church will offend those people. But I think there's a realisation amongst us as a society now that when we stay quiet in order to not cause offence, we offend the many thousands of people who have suffered at the hands of the church and state. People want accountability in relation to this. The church profited off of these crimes. They were selling children abroad for cash for the religious orders. They were, medical companies were profiting off vaccine trials. You know, we're we're in a different time now and the the, the Taoiseach and the report blamed society at the time. I don't agree with that assertion. There were many people who were trying to fight this at the time. But there was a really close relationship between the church and state and, you know, wrongfully all of this stuff happened. They were crimes. Today, are they blaming society today as well? I was trying to ask the minister in the doll yesterday, does he blame society today for this sad excuse for a redress scheme? He can't. He simply can't. And I think this legislation will come back to the doll next week for second stage or will be debated in the doll again. Then it will go to the committee for amendments and then it will go back to the doll to debate those amendments again. And I don't think it's possible for the minister to stand over this legislation for that period of time because rightly... Deputy Jennifer Whitmore and Social Democrats and Independent Deputy Catherine Connolly and uh, Deputy Catherine Murphy actually highlighted yesterday, all women who've had children. If it's the case that children, you know, have no memory and their first six months has no impact on them, why do we have maternity leave? They're saying, why did I breastfeed and put so much love into my children for those first six months of their lives if it ultimately amounts to nothing? Does the Minister for Children have absolutely no understanding of child developmental science, of child psychology? You know, the whole thing is a farce. And that's very obvious to everybody at this point. So I, I simply do not think he can get away with this. Like you said, the government passed mm. the motion, but that is just a cynical way of them pretending that they agree with this, the sentiment of our motion. And they plan to plough ahead completely at the moment with the, um, the redress scheme that they have. But honestly, I think they have underestimated the public will. And I would say to your listeners, if you agree with what Susan and I are saying and that you think people should be um, compensated adequately, you know, relative to the magnitude of the crimes committed, please get in touch with your local representatives and tell them that you feel that way because ultimately mm. that is the only thing that makes government act. I can get up, I could go into the door and set myself on mm. fire and quite frankly they wouldn't care. But if there's public will behind you, yeah. that's when they change their tack. Uh, and what do you want people to say to their local TDs uh, when they get in touch with them, if they do get in touch with them? What, what, what is the right way uh, of going about this? Is uh, to uh, rip this uh, legislation up and start again? Absolutely. To say this, you know, church and state needs to be held accountable. The compensation needs to be proportionate to the magnitude of the suffering caused that all survivors, crucially, need to be included in that redress scheme and that the findings of the Commission Investigations report need to be corrected. Okay, Susan, is that what you want, to go back to the drawing board with this? Absolutely. Um, You know, we've we've condemned this bill from from its initial genesis to its, you know, the small tinkering around the edges. And, And as I said, Roderick O'Gorman has absolutely ignored every... Um, wish and expectation of survivors, but then on top of that, you know, the various legal experts. And it, it is a pattern of behaviour we see in um, in Irish government. And I just I just like to read out a quote. Mm. Um, Nigel Rodley was the he's the late, unfortunately now deceased chairman of the UN Human Rights Committee. And in in relation to various scandals which he'd you know overseen, be that some physiotomy, the Magdalen laundries. He said, 
that it is time the Irish state stopped its automatic response to every scandal being to, uh, to every scandal being to first deny, then delay, then lie, cover up, and eventually, if forced, throw some money at it and hope that it will go away. In all this, it takes the size side of the elites, those who wield more power than is healthy, whose concerns are for, are for protecting their members. I mean, there could not be more succinct, more and more succinct definition of the Irish solution to an Irish problem. And I think, you know, Michal Martin in particular has questions to answer. He has been around. He was Minister for Health in 2000, uh, the year 2000. Mary Hannafin was the state's first minister for children. Michal Martin was her boss. And it was whilst he was her boss that she drafted a bill which sought to criminalise adopted people for seeking their um, their identities. So he has very serious questions to answer, as do this entire government. And it is about time that we we stopped our politicians, uh, you know, being only inter- their only interests are self interest, self interests, and promoting, you know, their their vo- their numbers of votes, uh, you know, at local and general elections. They have to start acting as legislators and being aware of the international norms which which surround human rights. Okay. We're going to leave it there for the moment. Uh, obviously, uh, this is a, an issue uh, that is far from over, but thank you both uh, indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Uh, that's uh, Susan Lohan, co-founder of uh, the Adoption Rights Alliance. Also speaking to us, Holly Kearns, who's a Social Democrat TD for Cork South West and uh, the TD who brought that motion to the doll yesterday. Michael Reed on LMFM. The National Association of Principals and Deputy Principals uh, will meet today and no doubt uh, they'll be discussing uh, the results of a survey that they carried out uh, which has found that the vast majority of principals say that working conditions in school have made the job unsustainable with schools struggling to deal with legacy issues from the pandemic such as learning loss and anxiety. Perhaps uh, that's why uh, they're forced to use unqualified staff retirees and students to fill vacancies with most schools in the country short of teachers. There's also a shortage of examiners as junior cert students will know. Some 68,000 of them who are still waiting on the results and won't get to them until the 23rd of next month. Let's speak to Dunco O'Leary who's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on education and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. It's beyond belief uh, that uh, the uh, amount of people who don't have uh, their results uh, and are still waiting for their results uh, uh, is as high as it is uh, and that there's uh, this ongoing wait until the 23rd. What, what, what do you think of it for children uh, who have gone into fifth year or who wanted uh, to take up an apprenticeship? There's obviously real difficulties. Yeah, like, I mean, look for... For junior cert students and for their families, like this is extremely frustrating. It'll be about five months as they sat their exams. And you've identified two of the categories. You know, for those who are going into transition year, <coughs> it is a cause of anxiety and it is a cause of frustration. But, <coughs> excuse me, but for those who are going straight into fifth year um, and who are having to make choices about what subjects they're doing, and for those who are doing apprenticeships, for those it has real world 
implications. Uh, so you've correctly identified the two categories that I would be most concerned about there. You know, like, I mean, it does speak to the fact that, uh, you know, you had the leaving cert results delayed this year as well, and whatever about the previous two years when there was COVID and all the rest of the calculated grades, so you might be inclined to cut some slack to the State Examinations Commission there. Uh, but the fact that the leaving cert results were, were, were delayed and that meaning that it was very tight for people to get accommodation um, and it caused significant problems for those students and international students. And now, junior students not receiving them until very late in November, well into the school year again. Like, I mean, that's, um, it points to a, a fairly systemic problem, mm. really, with the State Examinations Commission. I think we need to examine that. Um, I think we need to consider why is it that we're not getting enough teachers in uh, to correct the exams, because that seems to be the problem. We also had an issue over the course of the summer of not fully qualified teachers uh, examining the um, the papers and look, I mean, there, there may be scope for that, but it's important that they're safeguards in relation to okay, it. But if it's a systemic problem, is it going to happen again? Yeah, precisely. So, look, I mean, what I would be proposing is that as an education committee, we need to discuss this with the minister to see what are the, you know, is the remuneration inadequate or is it not adequately uh, highlighted and promoted, whatever the, the measures that are needed. But clearly, we have come to a situation this year where we didn't have enough teachers making exams. And, but the, and the fallout is very real, like I say, uh, and like you, you've, you've identified. Mm. For those who are trying to get apprenticeships, this is causing a significant delay. You have students making decisions on exam choices, and whether they do higher or ordinary level maths or higher or ordinary level Irish or whatever it mm. may be. They're making those decisions in a vacuum, and that's that's extremely difficult. And it's it's hard anyway. You know, you invest so much effort into this. This is um, this is new territory yeah. for 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 parents and for students yeah. as well, because it's the the first exam examination year of the new junior cycle approach. Um, so it's and very it's, t- hard it's time that, you, that it can't be bought back. Uh, I mean, you're talking about what two months is it into um, uh, the school year uh, and uh, if you should have uh, taken higher level uh, it's a bit late to be uh, reconsidering or vice versa if you should have taken uh, the lower level or indeed if you should have decided to leave school uh, and what happened to those who wanted to leave uh, and get an apprenticeship could you do it without your results? Like I mean I I think typically what is probably happening is that employers are, are taking a flexible approach and those who are sponsoring them are taking a flexible approach but that may not be the case in, in every instance um, it, it's very far from ideal we certainly had situations in previous years where students were unable to start their apprenticeship because during the calculated grades they weren't able to get the, the certificate of completion of the, the junior cycle as it was in that particular year so um, it could potentially cause problems I hope that employers are, are being understanding and flexible but um, ultimately, this is the system not working as it should. Like, you know, these students should be getting their results a week or two after the leaving SARC results mm. uh, in mid to late September. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's what students would have expected and what we've all been used to. And I think that, you know, avoids any of the difficulties that are created. So, like, I mean, clearly that was the objective of the State Examination Commission um, when they set about this um, several months ago. But... They clearly have failed to recruit adequate staff and whether that's inadequate incentives or inadequate highlighting of the fact that they need people to fill these positions, I'm not sure. We certainly need to explore it because it isn't good enough. Mm. Children are being let down uh, and parents are being let down. And it's a, it's a very difficult situation. And I really have to say I sympathise with um, the students and their families who are 
waiting and you know anxious on account of because, not knowing like I mean it's good that there's a date now at yeah. least you know there was so much uncertainty but it's still a long time to have to wait And what is uh, behind uh, the problem recruiting teachers why are there so many vacancies in schools Yeah like I mean I suppose there's a number of issues there but it's um, look I mean I think this has been a problem in post primary and secondary schools for for, for, for several years now and I think it's coming through to the primary system now uh, I think the cost of living is a big factor there in secondary school, like I mean, I think one of the big issues there is that um, you have um, big shortages in some of the languages, in the sciences, uh, and in Irish as well. And in some instances, there it's proving very difficult to compete with uh, the private sector. But also, when you take into account, you know, previously to, to become a, 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 a secondary school teacher, you did your degree in whatever it was, you know, it might be, you know, science or maths or whatever. Um, and then you did a one-year um, um, H-dip. Now that is the um, the PME. It's a two-year course. It's very, very expensive. Um, so what you're having is a situation where to become a secondary school teacher, you are in college for uh, studying for six-plus years and spending significant amounts. And that means that for people of a lower income, it is a big, big commitment you know, to try and get yourself into that much debt uh, to become a secondary school teacher. And I think, you know, there are uh, questions that have been raised by the trade unions and by teachers in relation to the PME and the cost of it. Uh, and I think that they are legitimate points about the cost of it because it is it is disincentivizing um, low-income um, and middle and lower-middle-income families uh, or, or individuals from taking up teaching. The other problem is, and I suppose, look, it is a problem right across the board. We have a cost-of-living crisis for... Mm. You know, in the more expensive areas in your Dublin, mm. in you know, that's where the problems are greater, that would fall into mm. Louth and Mead, yeah. um, you know, and, and the, the the suburbs of of, of Drogheda mm. and Rathdowd and Ashburn and places yeah. like this also very expensive. Uh, in Cork, in Limerick, in Galway, in all those places, property rent to buy is becoming extremely expensive, but to rent is becoming absolutely crippling. So, uh, teachers are choosing to stay uh, in. In more rural areas, they're choosing to teach out in in rural areas because, you know, the pay is the same, but uh, the cost of living isn't. Okay. Um, and that is, you know, until we deal with the cost of living crisis, it's not just going to be teachers. Like, I mean, it's having a real impact on teachers. Mm-hmm. I know that there are schools in Dublin, but probably in many other areas that are really, really finding it very difficult. They are down teachers and they're unable to fill them with permanent positions. Um, until we deal, though, with the cost of living crisis and the extortion cost of rent uh, of uh, of childcare, you know, this isn't just going to be a problem for teachers. It's going to be a problem for nurses, for physiotherapists, mm-hmm. for for all kinds of key occupations in the public service. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a constraint on getting those people while right. they're struggling. To it does it. not bode well. All right, Duncan, we have to leave there. Thank you, though, indeed, uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Duncan O'Leary is Sinn Fein's spokesperson on education. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing uh, this morning, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is reporting uh, that just half or 51% of Ireland's sewage was treated to European standards in order to protect uh, the environment. uh, And that includes Dundalk and Dunlear. We've also heard about raw sewage flowing into seas and rivers. And that includes Omeath, where raw sewage flows into Carlingford Lock. Let's
let's hear a little bit more about uh, this. David Shannon is uh, the uh, with the Inspection Wastewater Enforcement Scheme with the EPA. And uh, a very good morning to you, David, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Is this as bad as it sounds? Because we know, for example, in Omeath uh, that uh, the funding has been made available and work uh, is uh, to start on a new treatment plant there. Hey, good morning, Michael. Yeah, well, just to give you the background, yeah, the EPA has launched our latest report on, on urban wastewater treatment or the sewage that's generated in our homes and communities. And it's shown that there is some good news, you know, that uh, investment in sewage treatment is bringing improvements, but treatment at many years isn't as good as it needs to be. And really poorly treated sewage is uh, continuing to harm the quality of our liver, rivers, lakes and coastal waters. As you mentioned there, raw sewage is discharged every day from 32 towns and villages across the country, and that includes Omid. And just half of Ireland's sewage is treated to the European Union standards. And when you compare that to Europe, that's the, the European average is about 90%. So really, it is unacceptable, um, really. But I suppose there is some good news if you look at the local area. If you look at Omid, as you say, the, the money was, uh, funding is available there. Work has started on the, the treatment plant there. Construction is ongoing and it is due for completion in 2023. But we'd be more concerned about some areas such as uh, Dundalk and Dunlear. Our analysis has found that they are impacting on the local waters, on the Castletown Estuary, Inner Dundalk Bay and White River up at Dunlear. And the problem here is that Irish Water hasn't identified the solution or put a plan in place to solve the issues at here. So really what we're calling on is, you know, Irish Water really need to identify what the problem is, put a plan in place and allocate resources then in the same way that they did to to Omid. And when you say uh, affecting uh, the water, the quality of uh, the water, what does that mean uh, in reality? Uh, does it pose a risk to, to wildlife and fauna? Well, I suppose yeah. When when we're talking about pollutant waters, really, when you when uh, when sewage isn't properly treated, it contains nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus. So it's a little bit like putting fertilizer on the ground. Like you're putting these nutrients into the river, and uh, it causes the excessive and unwanted growth of algae and aquatic plants. It decreases oxygen levels in the water, and then as these plants die off, it decreases the oxygen levels even more. So really, it it, it can um, it can impact on the the ecosystems, and you don't have the same healthy ecosystem that you would with a, a nice clean river. Mm, I'm sure. And uh, can that have an impact on human health? Well, it's areas where you've got raw sewage, like raw sewage can uh, contain harmful bacteria and viruses. So people who come into direct contact with that can get ill. You know, you can mm. get illnesses like stomach upset, ear, nose and throat. So it is quite important to, to try and avoid contact if you're right up against where you know there's uh, there's raw sewage going out like like in Omid. OK, well, I'm sure as a country we're uh, far better than uh, a lot of uh, countries around the world uh, and indeed uh, European countries, uh, the likes of Greece, for example. Uh, but we are a bit backward, are we not? 51% of sewage not treated to European standards. The EU average is 90%. Yeah, but I think it is important yeah, to highlight yeah, that, that, that there is some, some good areas as well. And we have seen some, some positives over the last couple of years. You know, even last year, we had the likes of Cove and Castletown Bear down in uh, Cork connected up to treatment for the first time. We had major upgrades on some plants around the country like Shannon in, 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 um, 
Limerick, which met the, the treatment standards for the very first time. But as you say, uh, yes, only, only half of our wastewater is treated adequately. Now, most of that issue is down to the Dublin Rings End, which treats the, the wastewater from the, the greater Dublin area. It accounts for maybe 40% of Ireland's sewage in total. The plant there is overloaded, so it can't consistently treat treat the wastewater to the required standards. Now, work is ongoing there. It's a huge project. It started in 2018 and will probably run till 2025 to upgrade the the plant to provide more capacity so it can treat all the wastewater. So if you look at that one, that's an extra 40%. So... When that comes online, we should be up around the 90% compliance then. Okay. So that, 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 that's moving in the right direction. Okay. Very good. Thank you indeed, uh, David, uh, for joining us uh, this morning. David Shannon is an inspector in the Wastewater Enforcement Scheme with uh, the Environmental uh, Protection Authority. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, the Living Wage Technical Group has updated uh, the rate of uh, the living wage to 13.85 an hour. It's an increase of 95 cent an hour or an increase of 7%. Let's uh, speak uh, to Paddy Malone, who's uh, the PRO with uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Good morning to you, Paddy, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, I suppose this is the minimum that anybody should be earning if uh, they want to have a standard of living that allows them to uh, buy some of uh, the most basic essentials, uh, to to, to have uh, some decency in their life. What do you make of uh, that rate of pay? Well, I don't think it's it's like everything else. The government have been setting this target for the last number of years and there's been a slow... Uh, increase in the minimum wage, which is a different figure that is edging towards the living wage. And we would welcome that. Uh, I think every employer recognises that you have to pay the staff what they're worth, not what you can get away with, but what they're actually worth. Um, so if we can be done, that's fine. I mean, uh, the, 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 your, the rate of the living wage increased by 7.4%. The budget actually increased the minimum wage by 76 Now, I'd like to see that rate slightly higher so that the gap would be closed quicker, but at least it's moving in the right direction. The only problem you have, Michael, is that a job is important for everybody and that some jobs at the very lowest end, they can be undermined by, say, for example, the UK equivalent is only £9.90. Now, that's about... 10, you know, it's less than 10.50. Okay, but so, two wrongs don't make a, a no, right. No, no, uh, I am not uh, arguing that two uh, wrongs uh, don't uh, make uh, a right. Uh, but what I'm saying is that employers have to make sure that they have a... That, that, they can give a, a rate that is sustainable. And it's welcoming that the unions and the charities that set this mm. this living wage set a target and a benchmark that employers should be looking at. Uh, well, it's more than that. Uh, I suppose it's... Uh Something that employers uh, should achieve, is it not? Because they well, believe, it, because it, they it, believe, in, they believe. The be, sorry, sorry, yeah, just, I mean, just, just to point, put the point to you, buddy. They believe it's the minimum standard, uh, and that no individual or household should live below that level. Yeah, and employers recognise that fact and are moving to that fact. The minimum wage, which is a, set at a lower level, will be covering students and people staying at home and people starting first jobs. So yes. It's the target that should be uh, aimed at. And yes, it's welcomed every year that you see the target. And I'm glad to see that there's a slow increase, slow t- movement towards it. The problem with, the, the problem with this, way, this is that when you have inflation, the weakest and the, uh, and the poorest lose out because they can't keep pace. 
uh, the minimum wage at least has now kept pace with, with, with the past. I would say that most of my most of my clients, uh, thirteen eighty five is not what they're paying. Oh. Uh, it is it is above that, uh, and I would like to think that where employers can afford to do it, that they are doing it. Because everyone is entitled to a decency and a certain minimum standard of living. No one is going to argue against that. But sometimes you have to take practical realities that a job is better than no job. Right. OK. Uh, it works out on a 40-hour week at €554 Euro a week or 28808 This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Euro a, a year. Uh, there's a, a lot of people who don't earn that, uh, but this uh, report says uh, that you'd want to be earning that kind of money if you were to live with uh, some comfort and be able to afford things like food, clothes, health, household goods, education, transport and housing. Surely we're all entitled to do that. We are, and absolutely. And I would like to think that everyone could achieve that. And, and I'd like to think that it's sooner rather than later. Um, the problem is that some employers cannot meet those meet those targets without either increasing prices to the general consumer or a going bust. Uh, labour is a significant cost, and what's coming out from employers' organisations is to upskill and to train and to hold on to staff as much as you possibly can, uh, and all of that needs to be done so that we would look at a situation where everybody could achieve that, those sort of wages rates. I don't want to come mm. on argument and, and argue that people should be, shouldn't be paid a minimum wage. Of course they should, and above it, if possible. Mm. And there's nothing better than having an employee that's in good form and likes to go to work yeah. and does not see it as a drudge. Okay, if an so employer... We all, would, we all would like to aspire to it, Michael. The problem is, can we get there? All right, well, I suppose there's many ways uh, of getting there. If an employer is paying somebody less than €554 Euro a, a week, uh, would you imagine that they're living on less than that amount themselves they could well be they could very well be I mean when I get up on a Monday morning and particularly when if I go back to when I started Michael as, a, as an accountant 
the first job I did was I paid my wages. The second job was I paid uh, my wife what, what, what she needed to run the place. And the third thing was the revenue. Uh, and, and it should have been the second thing should have been the revenue but I, I had to live too and a lot of businesses that start off start off in that fashion so when people say that, that they're working you know that they're self-employed do not assume that that is that, that there's money in the bank there it's not and don't and, and, and if you look at their hourly rate uh, it is nothing like what, it, what they're not they're not getting the minimum wage on an hourly rate trust mm. me they're doing 60, 70 hours they're living with the worry over paying the paying next week's wages uh, to their employees and worried about the, about the consequences of that and it's all very well so, for so, people so, to so, say well then they shouldn't be in business so, so, some of them perhaps but some of them are just downright some, mean no, aren't some, they I, I, look I would never defend somebody who isn't treating their employees in an appropriate manner. And I think that, you know, I would call on anyone, if, 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 if you know somebody that is not treating their employee, do not give them business. Full stop. Mm. I mean, no one would tolerate that situation. If a, if, if, if a company is profitable, uh, is if there any reason to pay? It should be paying it. It should be paying what it can, it should be paying what it can afford or at least meet those minimum targets. Yes. Mm. 29,000 a year. It's a minimum target, and it should be it should be looked at. But the problem you have is that some businesses can sustain that, and some businesses can't. Mm. And as you said yourself, Michael, some employers are rogue employers, and they're not treating the staff properly, and they're causing a non-fair competition to those of us who do want to give mm. a proper wage. Well, you might else. say that and, and they might say that they're in the business of making money. No, well, well, that's you know. th- th- those. There's more to life than making money. Well, yeah, there is, but uh, and and what, what just on that, let me finish on this. If you have a situation where you ask for a painter or, or, or someone to do a job and you can get two prices and you know one of them, the employees are, it's either going to be a cash job or it's under the table. Mm. Don't tell me that people don't take the cash job because they do. And that's wrong. Mm. And it's the same situation. And, and therefore, yeah, you're putting legitimate painters out of business. Two wrongs don't make and a don't right. Make a right. Like, but like, what I'm like, saying is... The real world, Michael, is something that w- w- is different from what we would all like. Okay, to but see. if a company is profitable and so the company doesn't want to share that profit with its employees and is paying less than twenty nine thousand euro a year to their employees, surely they should be made to pay it, and that you should opt out of the minimum wage of thirteen eighty five because that's said to be the well, living wage. The best way that you can make your employer do that is to leave. Well, that's easier said than done for no, some. No, it's not. It's, not as e- it's, it's a lot easier than it used to be. There is full employment and there is a, a huge demand for jobs of, of all description, at all levels and at all expertise, from someone who doesn't have any basic skills right up to someone who has a PhD or who has, uh, is a carpenter or a fitter that has full qualifications. No, it, it's, 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 it is actually a lot easier than, it's, it, than it used to be. There is damn nearly full employment. And an employer who treats his employee foolishly is taking a short-term situation that is not going to do him any good. Okay, somebody's saying... No, 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 would any decent employer defend that. All right, uh, I think people might be surprised to hear you as a, a representative of uh, the local business community in Dundalk uh, telling people to leave if they're earning less than €29,000 a year. I think if they're entitled to get more, if, they're, if, if their colleagues elsewhere are getting it, then they should definitely think of leaving. And it's up to an employer yeah. to create a good environment for his employees as well as to make money. There might be a few members of the Chamber of Commerce making contact with you after this call, well, Paddy. Saturday, after, Saturday evening, we're going to have 640 in the Carrickdale Hotel. Mm-hmm. It's the biggest event outside of the Dublin Chamber. Uh, 
And I'm quite happy to talk to any of those 640 who want to have a go at me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and ask them to justify why they're paying less than 13 dollars And, and, and you can ring me on Monday and find out what happened. Very good. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Paddy Malone, the PRO with uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Somebody texting us saying, my daughter works for €10 Euro an hour in Drogheda. Betty Daly in touch with us about the redress scheme uh, for the survivors of mother and baby homes saying uh, the children who were put up for adoption, uh, some of those were abused by their fathers or their brothers or their uncles and that's why it was all brushed under the carpet hush hush when a girl was put into a mother and baby home where were the girl's mothers or their grandmother or their aunties for that matter thanks uh, Betty for that I think uh, to a large degree Betty in fairness it was the family shame at uh, the girl becoming pregnant becoming a fallen woman and uh, Holy Catholic Garland didn't allow that uh, in those days, uh, an Avalon listener says, Michael, people should stop giving money to Catholic religious orders. They're treating these people uh, with contempt. Uh, they should be contributing uh, to the redress scheme. Bishops and priests should stop coming on news programmes, etc., begging for money. They should be ashamed of themselves, as our listener Paddy Duffy in touch with us uh, this morning. Uh, and uh, Paddy says, I have complete confidence in Liz Truss, uh, but her own party doesn't seem to have, and they might get rid of her. Uh, if uh, that is the case, Paddy says he'd like Boris Johnson back. He always needed two terms uh, in order to complete his work. Uh, and if that's not possible, then Jacob Rees Mogg, please. A real proper Brexiteer and a racist. Make Britain great again, says Paddy. I don't know where you're coming from with that at all, Paddy Duffy. Mr. Speaker, the only mandate she's ever had is from members opposite. Yeah. It was a mandate built on fantasy economics yeah. and it ended in disaster. Yeah. The country's got nothing to show for it except the destruction of the economy and the implosion of the Tory party. Yeah. I've got the list here 45p tax cut, gone. Corporation tax cut, Gone. 20p tax cut. Gone. Two-year energy freeze. Gone. Tax-free shopping. Gone. Economic credibility. Gone. And her supposed best friend, the former Chancellor, he's gone as well. They're all gone. So why is she still here? I'm a fighter and not a quitter. I have acted in the national interest to make sure that we have economic stability. Prime Minister, order, order. I'm going to hear the Prime Minister. I suggest that all members need to hear the answer. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I am a fighter and not a on the energy price guarantee. We have. We've delivered on the energy price guarantee. We've delivered on national insurance. We are going to deliver to stop the militant trade unions disrupting our railways. The honourable gentleman has no idea. He has no plan and he has no alternative. That's the British Prime Minister for the moment. Just as well as Truss is a fighter because she certainly has a fight on her hands. She was taking questions there from the Labour Party leader, Keir Starmer. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
is the issue of Garda resources in, in County Meath. Um, we have the lowest number of Garda per head of population at one per 668 people. Um, we have a joint policing committee meeting tonight in Retote, which Retote is the largest town in Ireland without a Garda station. It's a testament to a lack of investment. Um, there's increase in crime, increasing unsolved crime. We hear that there was a target to re recruit 800 um, uh, Gary this year, but only 24 have been recruited oh, since 2016. There has just been an increase of two Gary per 100,000 people. Um, there is an acute shortage and a chronic shortage of resources in the county. Uh, what is the government going to do to address that? As you may be aware, in the government, uh, Minister McEntee secured funding to recruit a thousand new Gardaí next year um, and uh, they obviously will be distributed across the country in accordance with uh, what the Garda Commissioner considers uh, right um, but we have never had more Gardaí, we've never had a better funded Garda Síochána service. I appreciate that is against the backdrop of an increasing population as well and we have to take that into account in terms of the exact resources for Mead. I don't have that information in front of me but I will ask um, Mr McIntyre to provide your office with it. Right, that's the Tánis de Leo Vrantker responding uh, to questions uh, about policing and antisocial behaviour in County Mead and in Rathoth in particular and if Leo Vrantker sounded calm uh, and everything uh, is uh, being looked after. Uh, well, it wasn't uh, the impression that people would have got at that joint policing committee meeting that Darren O'Rourke spoke about when he was putting those questions to the Tarnished in the Dáil last week. That JPC meeting has since happened. And the reports in uh, the Mead Chronicle this week clearly indicate that there are serious problems. Apparently one woman broke down at the meeting. Uh, saying that Gardaí didn't know what to do about the problem. Another man said uh, that someone's going to give these kids a slap. Who doesn't want to give them a slap? Uh, and he, he wanted a curfew to be put in place so that young people couldn't be out after 10 o'clock at night. Some dramatic, drastic action uh, was called for. Uh, let's speak uh, to two independent councillors who attended that meeting and are acutely aware of uh, the situation because uh, they represent Rat Oath on Meath County Council, Gillian Toole and Nick Killian. And a very good morning to both of you and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Gillian Toole, how bad is it in Rat Oath? Good morning, Michael, uh, and thank you for uh, this slot on the programme this morning. Uh, there has certainly been a number of flashpoints in some areas of Rathoth, and I can completely understand the frustration of residents, of some residents um, in particular areas, ab absolute frustration that would lead to a call for a curfew. Um, there, there is no doubt about that. Um, there has been a flashpoint. Um, but I think just, uh, just to, to state from the outset and to put it on record, not to paint an absolutely dismal picture. We are here at this point on Thursday morning after a phenomenal group of young people represented Rathoth, Rathoth GAA, and have done a fantastic job for their area and for their county in the senior football and the minor intermediate hurling final. So it's not, it's a very small number, a very, very small percentage mm. of, by and large, a fantastic group. But that of small people. percentage obviously has people terrorised. Uh, they have a certain group of residents absolutely terrorised. And in terms of possible solutions in terms of it's neither solely a Garza problem, it's not solely a Mead County Council problem, it's not solely a community problem. Mm. All three elements of our 
little portion of County Meath, of our Red Hope Society, need to work together. Mm. Um, it's very much people interacting with people. We can have all of the technology, all of the data, etc. But at the end of the day, people buy people and we need numbers. We have one yeah. excellent community. I, 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 I read in the Chronicle uh, a story about somebody, a child minor, being chased up the road on three occasions. Who, who was chasing them? Why were they chasing them? What were they going to do to them? Pure intimidation. A small number of, uh, as far as I understand, 14, 15-year-olds. I mean, at the end of the day, uh. people, people, regardless of age, people want to feel safe in their community. They want to be able to protect their hard-earned possessions. But they want, they want to feel safe and they want their families to feel safe, regardless of age. Mm. We need, we've lost two years of where the community guardie could enter the schools get familiar with the young people. Are they armed? Are they armed? Yeah. I mean, just a conjure, it conjures up a, 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 a vision that they'd have some sort of weapons, whether it's sticks or something, if they're going, not, to, be cha- if they're going, to, be cha- if they're going to be chasing after somebody, 14 and 15-year-olds chasing a, a child minor three times. It's just hard to believe. There have been issues of throwing stones, of throwing eggs, oh, that's and arms, fireworks yeah. let off. Okay. If you want, if you want to call that an arm, but the human voice, Michael, as we know, a raised voice, yeah. a raised voice is a form of arming. Mm. It's not pleasant. It can be intimidating. Mm. And after the last two years, people, regardless of age, are finding their feet. They're getting out and about into their communities. Mm they don't need to feel intimidated. Okay. So absolutely retote. And I mean, if you look, yeah. at, if you look at the, the, the sequence of an emergency response, calls to a station, then they go to a car and it's foot patrols. For retote, the important part for me, I feel, is the cars and the foot patrols. People need it. There's, there's an element, I know years ago in Dunshockland, if we saw the Gardaí, and I'm going back 40 plus mm. years, if we saw Garda X or Garda Y, you straightened yourself up. Even if you were up, even mm. if you were up to nothing, you nearly felt guilty. That mm. physical presence—it's down to people. At the end of well, the day, well, certainly local people don't think that these youngfellas give a, a damn. Let me go to, and they're not worried about the guards. Let me go to Nick Killian. I, I mean, you'd have to ask yourself, what are we at if we're letting a, a group of children terrorise a community like this? Well, the difficulty goes back to lack of resources. At the end of the day, and. I'm around a while, Michael, and I've listened to promises from various superintendents and chief superintendents with regards to the provision of additional Gardaí uh, into the Ashburn area. Um, the chief superintendent who attended the meeting, to be fair to him, he, he I suppose in some ways he, he was under pressure, uh, and he told us that there are 331 guards for the county. Now, County Mead has actually, per head of population, has the lowest number of Gardaí per head of population. We have an expanded uh, uh, community in the sense that we have 25,000 extra people living uh, in the county. In in, in my own village of Rathoth, it's gone up uh, by roughly um, 1,100 since the last census. Mm. And the, I have sought over the years, and one thing I have to say, we... We get good response from the guards in Ashburn when we start when we when we look for it. We have a, a wonderful community, a local community guard, who is only one person. But my my main complaint to the chief superintendent last week was, we were promised a community policing unit this time last year. 
12 months have gone by and it's only now been set up. Mm. And that's not good enough. It needs to be set up immediately. Now, I know that the, the Chief Super um, gives the indication it'll be up and running within the next three weeks. We'll, we'll, I'll have to take him at his word. But what I'm worried about is, in fact, it's, been, it's not going to be in Ashburn, based yeah. in Ashburn. It's going to be based in Julique. Oh, now, right. okay. No disrespect yeah. to the people mm. of Julique, but the, 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 the vast number of the population is Ashburn, Rathout, Dunboyne and Dunshotland. But why do we need police officers to deal with problems, pro- problem children? It's about vision. It goes back to what uh, Gillian quite rightly said, that when she was um, younger uh, and slightly older than Gillian, I always remember the policeman, and I'm sure you do yourself. Michael. Yeah, but I, I would you hope, I would hope that in this day and age, with, but, but with the level of criminality and everything that's going on in the country, you'd hope that police officers uh, would have better things to do than dealing with 14 and 15-year-olds. Well, unfortunately, uh, it's a a small group of young people. It's about 20 of them, boys and girls, by the way. Um, And the one thing is, the the Gardaí know who the leaders are in in, in relation to this, and they have to be taken aside and dealt with. Um, At the meeting, quite a few of the people there mentioned ASBOs, which would involve the parents. Mm. But the awful thing about that is, it can take up to two years uh, from full invest from the start of an investigation until an ASBO mm. is actually yeah, and they they've never worked. They didn't work in Britain. They didn't work here. And I know that Minister McIntyre was talking about them uh, coming back I- into force. Gillian uh, Toole, you were saying that that's exactly the problem. That it is problem children, uh, and that this shouldn't be the situation. So what's the solution? Well, not, not even to use a label such as problem children, but and you're and you're quite right, Michael. It shouldn't be a guard that responds to parenting or to to helping to if parents are under pressure and they're getting pushback from kids and maybe the circumstances are such and uh, that they they just have lost control then there are actually supports in place in the county to help parents mm. Meads partnership have have recently it's actually running currently um it's an online course and there's also a face-to-face element of it that's through Meads partnership the hse um in conjunction with Meads community drug and alcohol response they run uh, strengthening families programs uh, there's parents under pre- there are supports available if people would quietly and confidentially come forward make contact with us so you know, I, mm. I honestly, as I said to you, it's, there's three parts to this. It's not, it's not parents on their own. On, if they're in difficulty, make contact. There are supports. It shouldn't be a Garda supervised, uh, organised response solely. Mm. The local authority, in terms of the provision of amenities, etc. So it's, it's a, there's a triangle there. Um, in ter- and, and just even the basics of the three W's, as I would call it. Who who are they with in terms of the younger people? Who are they with? Where are they? And what are they doing? Mm. And we as parents, we need to know that. Yeah, but you know as well that uh, you're going to be putting that uh, to people who don't give a damn. Well, then, if that's the case, well, is, only, is, is, not, is that not right? There, there are, there's probably a very small percentage. Yeah. So I think I think there's a group that are under pressure. There were twenty children them between them, like. The last, if you look at the, if you look at the demographic in the last fourteen years, Michael, yeah. and the uh, the cost of housing, the cost of mortgages, both parents possibly out at work to serve that mortgage, mm. 
who is there anybody at home from four to seven when school's out and the parents get back? Mm. Yes, there's the so you can't yeah, but, manage a yeah. problem without breaking it down and asking why. And mm. just in terms of Nick well, still in all though, you still have you still have your responsibilities. You know, you don't take your responsibilities too. Absolutely, yeah. no, I agree. But there's a question to be yeah. asked around the environment for members of Angarda Shiakona. Because mm. if you look at the figures for this year alone, the number of retirements, the number of resignations, 78 mm. resignations, um, and they're in the 30 to 40 year age group. So the numbers going out of the force mm. exceed the numbers going in. We have to ask, why is that? OK, let me go back to Nick Killian now, because there's two other things to this uh I think uh, when it comes to the kids uh, themselves, because if they're acting like this at 14 and 15, uh, I think Ratota is going to be a, an awful place uh, over the next 10 years. Uh, and unless it's tackled, unless it's tackled because they're on a, a rocky road and this type of, of behaviour leads to other type of behaviour. And the second thing I was going to put to you uh, just briefly, Nick, is that you'd have to be very worried about those kids themselves. There's a, a question of child welfare here. Those kids need protection from themselves. Yeah, I worry about the children all the time. And there was an incident outside my office last Friday evening. And the young, the two young people involved were 12 years of age. So it's, 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 but in retort, from 15 upwards, we don't seem to get any problems from the uh, young people. And of course, we've got to remember that um, there are certain individuals who come from outside of retort and they're trying to sell uh, drugs to, uh, some of our young people, you've, you've all the other things that are going on uh, in relation to, um, I know Gillian probably knows the names better than I do, where they're sucking this gas. So there are other issues. Now, to be fair to all of the schools, they, they talk about it uh, to the students as best they can. But parental responsibility has been lost by a small number of parents in results because I would be informed by our community guard that when the community guard goes to the house about these children, they don't get a very good reception from some of the parents. So if the parents are not even prepared to engage with our community uh, police force, um, what what do we do? But I I don't paint it as if it's the worst Mm. uh, town in Ireland. It's not by any manner of Mm. means because what's happening in Rathout is just a reflection of what's happening right across our our county. county Still in all, good luck to you at Halloween. Anyway, well, we'll, yeah. we'll we, to be fair with the local authority and the guards are working together. That is uh, anything in relation to, and we'd, we'd, I'd say this morning, not just for a toll, but for right around the county. If you see people gathering and bringing wood and bringing stuff to, to Bourne, ring either the county council office or ring the, the local guardie or ring the fire station and okay. tell them. And, uh, the, and the local authorities will take the stuff okay. away. We'll come back to that, I think, in the coming days. Uh, I have to leave it there, though, for the moment uh, because we're way over time, in fact. But thank you both, indeed, for your time and for joining us uh, this morning. Independent councillors on Mead County Council based in Ratoth, Gillian Toole and Nick Killian. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the Minister of State for Financial Services, Sean Fleming, uh, launched a report by PwC and Insurance Ireland 
on Wednesday of uh, this week. The Irish Times reports uh, that he said that insurance companies should be willing to take more risk and pass on savings that have been generated by reforms. He mentioned that there's been a lot of reforms, uh, that most of the reforms that the insurance industry wanted have been delivered, and by way of legislation, there's more to come. And he said that he is pleased that the finish line is in sight, and he wanted to reiterate the government's expectation when it comes to cost savings that are made by insurers as a result of the reforms, and that those savings are passed on to consumers. Let's speak to Peter Boland, Director of the Alliance for the Insurance Reform. Uh, And uh, very good morning to you, Peter, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I suppose that's not uh, unreasonable for the Minister or government to expect. No, Michael, but we have no faith that it's going to happen. Um, The incumbent insurers have shown themselves well able to hold on to all the benefits of reforms over the last year and a half or so. Uh, And so all the work the government has done uh, and all the work that policyholders have done in order to get the House in order uh, have benefited somebody. But that somebody right now uh, is insurers. Uh, now, I would distinguish between motor, where there are benefits accruing to policyholders, yeah. and liability, which is the kind of insurance that businesses and community groups and charities and sports clubs have to have. And it's with liability that there's a problem. And really at the heart of it, and I read the Minister's speech mm. and the report that went with it, and the tone in general, other than that one line that you read out, was quite self-congratulatory and it's far too early to be declaring mission accomplished on this because um, essentially we don't have sufficient competition uh, in the liability insurance market we've seen what it can do for motor uh, insurers are cutting their prices another 10% this year on mm. top of reductions last year. Uh, we need additional competition and this is nothing new. The government acknowledged this as far back as 2010 and set up an insurance competition office and it, it hasn't announced any additional insurers since But then. even that 10% reduction this year in motor insurance is that uh, enough? Uh, as uh, the Minister pointed out uh, claims uh, through PIAB are down 40%. That's right. It's it's not happening fast enough. Now, there is a cumulative effect. So, you know, uh, on average, the CSO are saying that we're we're seeing about 20% over the last two years. So it's starting to reflect uh, the way that things are. It's much better than the reality for liability, where we're actually seeing increases averaging 16%, despite all the reforms that have happened. Mm. Uh, so uh, the reforms really are driving profits up, are they? That essentially is, and we're going to see uh, a slew of really positive reports next year, I think, from insurers, uh, because all the benefit has accrued to them. Right. Where's the regulation of this? Well, uh, the man that you quoted, uh, Sean Fleming, uh, is the line minister for for insurance. Uh, we think, as I said, that the uh, the present the speech that he gave uh, was very warm uh, and praised the insurance industry in in many different ways. Uh, we don't think he's nearly tough enough. Uh, with the insurers because essentially this is a, a small sector uh, profiting from the misfortune of the bulk of Irish society because it doesn't matter whether you're a customer uh, or an operator, you're paying the price of higher insurance. Mm, and uh, the Minister spoke uh, about risk. There's a, a lot of risk, uh, I suppose, uh, for uh, 
a lot of sectors uh, and if uh, the insurance companies aren't willing to take that risk uh, then it's going to continue to be impossible uh, to have trampolines or playgrounds or whatever it is. Well, that's it. And uh, we've talked about this issue before, mm. Michael, in the sense that um, we can't rely on the incumbents to pass on the deals. They're quite happy with the status quo as it stands. So we have to get extra insurers in. Now, I, I wouldn't have envied anyone doing that job three years ago because Ireland was a basket case when it came to insurance and public liability in particular. But that has improved dramatically. Uh, as you quoted there, everything the insurers have looked for uh, has been handed to them. Uh, they were very vociferous three or four years ago in saying that it was the cost of claims that was driving the cost of insurance. Uh, then when that was mm. acted on, it was fraud, uh, which was driving up the cost of insurance. It turns out now that we have a guard of fraud unit that the number of referrals is dropping precipitously year on year. So it's not fraud. Uh, that's uh, been mm. knocked off the list. So now they're talking about general inflation. Uh, but the reality is that there's always an excuse. But when when there's competition, the excuses evaporate and we start to see results. Right. And it, it has to come down to getting out into the global markets and getting competition. OK, but uh, there was a, a different mood three, four years ago, wasn't there? Uh, I mean, people were up in arms about uh, the cost of insurance and the companies uh, providing insurance were on the defensive and justifying those costs and calling for reforms. Uh, now the reforms have been delivered. So much time has passed by that we've all got used to paying high premiums. Well, that would be a terrifying prospect if the kind of premiums that we've been paying for the last few years are normalised because that would essentially be a one-off transfer of wealth uh, from producers and community organisations uh, to the insurance sector. It would make Ireland uh, by far and away one of the most profitable markets for insurers in the world. And I don't think that any measure of the common good would find that acceptable. Okay, back to the minister, back to the government then. Absolutely, yes, and urgently. Uh, And one final point, there are sectors right now that simply cannot get cover. Uh, And the minister in meetings with us has acknowledged that. Uh, We're looking at sectors like um, community facilities, festivals, uh, perhaps cottages around the country, street artists, and many more besides. Mm. Uh, And the government, whilst we don't expect the government to set up an insurance company, they have to intervene on that, uh, get into a room with the insurers, and figure out what we can do for those sectors. Uh, There are models uh, which have been used successfully elsewhere uh, and this is a matter of urgency because what we don't want is a situation where you and me are talking in three years' time and saying, well, the problem is fixed. But in the meantime, we've lost hundreds of organisations that are of of value to society. Okay, we'll leave there for the moment. Peter, thank you, as always, for joining us this morning. That's Peter Boland, the Director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Michael Reed on LMFM. I'm sure you know all about uh, the charity uh, alone. It does great work helping older people to age at home. It carried out a, a survey uh, recently and it found that nearly three quarters of uh, the people it surveyed were very or extremely concerned about the cost of living. Nearly two thirds worry about struggling to pay bills. And 92% of older people that alone work with say they're most concerned about heating and energy bills. That's followed by food prices and household maintenance, the like of broken appliances and so on. I think by any fair measure, the budget announcements 
are very significant in ensuring that people uh, have the wherewithal um, to, to, to avoid this connection, um, and in particular to meet the very significant increase in, in electricity costs. Um, and that's apart from the measures that were taken earlier in the year. But the €600 Euros in terms of the energy credit uh, is a very significant um, intervention. Uh, three payments of €200 Euros, uh, in the following billing periods, November, December, January, February 2023, uh, and March, April 2023. And then you go further then in, the, in terms of the over €2.5 to support households that we've provided now in, 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 in the budget. A €400 Euro lump sum um, payment to fuel allowance recipients, €200 Euro lump sum payment for pensioners, 500 cost of living lump sum payment to all families, getting working family payment, double payment of child benefit to support all families with children, €500 Euros cost of living payment for people receiving carers support grant will be paid uh, in November, and a €500 Euro, uh, cost of living disability support grant will be paid to all people receiving a long-term uh, disability uh, payment. Uh, and th th these are very substantial interventions. That's the Taoiseach Micheál Martin speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak uh, to Frank Dillon, who is Head of Communications and Fundraising with Along. Good morning to you, Frank, and thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Uh, as we heard, your survey has found that 92% of the older people that you work with are, are very concerned about heating and energy bills, despite all, all of the measures uh, that the government has introduced in the budget. You want people to be aware of those measures and not to worry too much about staying warm this winter because you say there is support there for people. Yeah, but that's the phase of winter where it's, it's, it's much about prepared and getting prepared and, and that survey had indicated that there was a rising concern around energy and energy costs. Frank, uh, you're, you're on a mobile phone uh, and it's very hard to hear you. It's breaking up. Uh, we'll try to improve on the line or uh, maybe uh, see if we can get you on a, a different line. Uh, but uh, we'll have to uh, see if we can improve on that and come back to you hopefully in the next couple of minutes. Uh, apologies to you at home. Uh, it's a, an interesting uh, survey uh, from alone, but not only that. If you are one of uh, those people who is uh, worried or concerned uh, about staying warm over the winter because of the cost of living and the rising bills, and uh, there's not just those measures uh, available from uh, the government. Uh, there are other supports in place, as Frank was about to tell us. But uh, alone is also suggesting a, a, a lot of ways uh, that uh, you can cut down on your bills and stay warm. And uh, I think uh, perhaps. We have Frank back on the line. Perhaps we can go through uh, some of those suggestions for you about keeping the bills low. Thanks uh, for coming back to us, Frank. Uh, apologies for that. The line uh, was uh, pretty awful and we couldn't hear what you were saying. Uh, but you do want people to, uh, in the first instance, not worry too much about staying warm because there are supports from the government, but there is also other ways that they can be supported. Apologies about that, Michael. Yeah, yeah. no, thanks. Yeah. Great to be back with you. Um, listen, yeah, we launched a partnership yesterday with the Department of Environment, Climate and Communication. And although the main theme of their campaign is reduce your use, alone is say to older people where heating is, is, is a health issue as much as anything else, mm. is that, you know, reduce your use are essential to staying healthy and heating and, and keeping warm and eating warm food and having pendant alarms and all that essential equipment is very much a part and parcel 
of their life and that's that's not to be reduced in, in any form of use. There are some practical measures you can take, but there's also supports there and it's important that we say alone is there and it's working with partners in, in MABS and SEAI and, and various other partners to offer practical support to get through this winter because, you know, I think for a lot of older people, it's not by any means their first crisis. They, they lived through fuel crises before and, and various different things. And we're just saying that the start there, a lot of the learnings we had from COVID where community came together pretty much in place. Mm. Okay, uh, we're still plagued by that bad line, uh, Frank. I might read out some of those tips uh, that you published and uh, let people know that they can reach Alone's National Support and Referral Line on 0818 treble two oh two four uh, we'll have to leave it there because uh, the line just uh, isn't strong enough I'm afraid uh, but thanks uh, for joining us uh, Frank Dillon Head of Communications and Fundraising with Alone that can be reached on 0818 treble two oh two four they say that if you have machines in the house make sure that you keep them on uh, if they're to keep you safe in other words if you're on dialysis or something like that get your boiler service before the winter make sure that you eat at least one hot meal a day uh, and microwave things uh, because that can uh, save money get dressed get moving and get active to stay warm wear several layers of light clothes and curtains open them on sunny days and let the heat in close them at night to keep the cold out Uh, and uh, we'll probably uh, make that information available to you if you'd like uh, some of those tips if you'd like to get in touch with us but that's where we have to leave you for today our time is up and god willing we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at 9am right here on lmfm good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 87 What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.